If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself. But even better, they've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information, all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Friday, June 4th. Uh, maybe when you are listening to this, we will have already gotten the jobs report. But as I record, we don't. So here's what the expectation is, that there will be a half a million new jobs created for the month of May. You may not remember this because it seems like about a million years ago, but uh, we had an April jobs report that was pretty disappointing. It, there were only 266,000 jobs added and we were expecting like a million jobs and we didn't get it. So where are we? Um, before this report comes out, we still have 8.4 million fewer jobs than we had at the February 2020 peak. Okay. And so even if we get a half a million for May, still almost 8 million jobs. That's a lot. So we're expecting that there will be the unemployment rate that will, you know, it just goes all over the place because remember, there are two different surveys that the rate and the jobs come from. So we're still in a bit of a pickle here because the unemployment rate is still at about 6%. Maybe it'll go down a little bit. You know, we just, uh, need to get more people back to work. And yet we also are hearing a lot about the fact that there are many businesses that are having a hard time finding people or bringing people back to work. I think that's temporary. It's going to work itself out. All right. Uh, if you've got a financial question, how about you send us a note? Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. Christine writes that she listens to us faithfully and she subscribes to Jill on Money. That's so good. My adult children do as well at my suggestion. How about that? All right. Christine's going to be 72 during the summer and she's just retired from her job as a clinical social worker as of this week. How about that? All right. She went to grad school and she was 58. Oh my God. She got a late start. She says, uh, I have $118,000 in a 401k, $170,000 in a checking account. That's from the sale of a condo. Fidelity manages my hospital's retirement and investment stuff. I spoke with them about my required minimum distribution. When my paycheck stops, my monthly income will be $1,700 from Social Security from a deceased spouse, 
$1,270 from uh, an Air Force survivor benefit. No debt. Live with my partner in his home that's paid for. That is, by the way, the best kind of partner to have. This is the entirety of my fortune. Ha! (laughs) All right. She says, I'm ultra conservative. I'm a little nervous about investing because it's all I have. Any recommendations for me? Thank you. I appreciate your great humor and sage advice. Okay. I think that sticking, first of all, the, the good thing to note is that even though your paycheck is stopping, you have money coming in the door. And that is really lucky because if you're, if you are someone who feels very nervous to have that guaranteed income, that is, can go a long way to make you less nervous. The other part of this is that, you know, you've got this three grand a month. You know, if you live with your partner, that's all well and good. Um, I don't know if you have any contribution that you're making to the household or not, but you've got this three grand a month coming in. The one thing you don't mention is what is it of that, uh, that three grand a month that's coming in that you need to spend to support yourself? Let's presume it's everything. Let's just say that you you do okay because, you know, the house you live in, the dwelling, you got it. And that three grand a month is just what you spend. So if you have $118,000 in your 401k, what I would suggest is that you have a conservatively balanced portfolio where you, you really, even though if you hate risk, you got to have some stocks because if we are entering an inflationary period, you're going to need to own some stocks. So that's number one. In terms of the checking account money, I'm inclined to just make this kind of boring and make sure that you have a nice big cash cow and maybe creates a CD ladder or get a high yield checking and savings account and not put too much of that money to work. Because I think that if you could keep most of that money liquid and not at risk, it'll make you feel better. And then the 118000 in your 401k, let that be the risky part. It'll drive someone crazy. Like if your partner's like, oh my God, that's a waste. Why are you doing that? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. What matters is that you create some way to give yourself a break um, and not worry too much. Okay. And, you know, if you just for the 118000 in the retirement account, you might just use a, a target date fund. You might just use a balance fund. Just make it easy. Remember, you only have to take a certain amount out for your required minimum distribution and the rest you can keep as investing. That's it. And most importantly, a balanced to sort of conservative portfolio. No more than half of that money should be in stocks is my guess. Okay. Oh, no. Here's Katie. This Mark, we got a lot of these questions lately. Katie says, subject, home buyer with heartache. Oh, brother. Yesterday, we lost our third house in a row to competitive bidding situations. We offered 26% over asking. We waived inspection. We offered to pay the difference between appraisal and closing price. We had a quick close on the discretion of our lender, a lovely letter. We were outbid by two other parties. Mark, what are we going to do about this? They're in their late 30s. They have a half a million dollars in cash, 600 grand in long-term investments. Household income, 550 grand a year. No debt. Credit scores are above 800. Pre-approved for a jumbo on a purchase of a house up to 2 million. We're finding that the home offers beating our own are all cash. How can we compete with cash offers? The last thing we want to do is ask the bank of mom and dad for help or incur capital gains from cashing out our investments. Plus, 
our lender has indicated that securing a mortgage after an all-cash transaction, in effect refinancing the home, is considered risky to banks, comes with higher interest rates, not to mention we're due with our second baby later this year. Thanks for any advice on creative thinking. You ready for your creative thinking, Katie? I need you to explore renting. I really do. This this market is nuts. I don't like the idea that you are in this situation, but I just feel like there's no reason for you to go to your parents to ask for money. I mean, look, if, they, if your parents are super rich, <laughs> not super rich, but if your parents are in great shape and they're like, yeah, you know what? Here's a half a million dollars, go. That's one thing. But I would not No, I would not actually sell your long-term investments. You have great income. Sock it away and rent. Just rent. That's what I think. Is this, Mark, you have a kid. Is renting like impossible for someone who has kids who just has already made the leap of faith, you think? Now, Mark says, take a deep breath. Let the dust settle. Rent, sign a lease, rent, get a great house. And let's see where we are. I know interest rates could rise. Who cares? They're not going to rise by five points in a year. Uh, they are not going to 10%. Mark and I feel very comfortable giving you that advice. Like, take a deep breath. Uh, Alex says uh, he's 63. He um, earns $15,000 a year, um, and he will continue working until he's 70. He'll have Social Security of $18,000 per year. He's going to sell the house, and he's going to clear a minimum of $350,000. I have $100,000 in an IRA. I paid for 70 acres in a small house in Kentucky. I want out of the market. And due to health, the long range is... (laughs) He's basically planning on dying when he's 90. No debt, no family, no legacy. Holes in the plan, your thoughts would be appreciated. I don't see a huge hole in your plan. If you want to be out of the market, then um, you're just going to have to be confined to the amount of money that you can live on. Can you live on that 18 grand a year on Social Security? I mean, you're living on 15 now. So if that's the case, sure. So you're going to have 350 grand. I honestly would say that even if you hate risk, as we just said, even if you've got, you know, that awful feeling about risk, at least the money in the IRA, have some money in stocks just so that you can have uh, some hedge against inflation. Daphne writes, hello, Jill. First, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I try to listen as much as possible. What do you mean as much as possible? How about every day? Oh, here's a nice note. I enjoy the guests you bring on the show, and I love the advice you give to those who call in or send in their questions. I hope you can provide me with some guidance. I'm 50 years old, and I recently lost my mother to cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Last year was incredibly difficult as she became increasingly ill during COVID, and she finally succumbed to multiple myeloma. Oh, I'm sorry. Soon after her passing, I had to deal with the practical matters of her estate. I am an only child with a daughter of my own who's 20. She's a junior in college. My mother left me about $500,000 and the family home, which is estimated to be worth $750,000 with no mortgage. Part of her assets included two annuities, $100,000 each. One is deferred for five years, the other for 10. I'm concerned that I don't know the best way to manage these annuities and the tax implications. Additionally, I'm considering selling the house, but... I'm not sure what the implications would be for my for an inherited property either. Okay. I want to honor my mother's greatest wish, which was to preserve as much of her assets for her granddaughter. I want to keep this in mind as I think about my own retirement planning. 
for myself, I have about $360,000 in retirement accounts, $350,000 in my 401k, and a retirement annuity from a former employer. It's worth about $95,000. I also have a pension with my current employer. It's estimated to provide me with about $60,000 a year. Lastly, my mother made me a beneficiary of her pension, and I now receive just under $1,000 a month. I guess my overall question how can I best manage my mom's assets and ensure that I'm making the right decisions for my daughter and my future while honoring mom's wishes? I think some help and guidance are needed. Any that you can provide would be greatly appreciated. Okay, first of all, this is a great question. I'm going to I'm going to give you my advice, but I'm going to tell you that my number one reaction to this is that you may be you may actually benefit from working with a financial advisor on this. There are going to be some tricky aspects of your tax planning that you may want to think about. But here's the two cents that I can give you. First of all, your mom died. And what will likely happen is that the assets, I'm sure you're dealing with this with the estate attorney, but when you inherit these assets, you've got a a taxable estate that's worth a certain amount of money. So for your mom, she's got $500,000 and this and a house, right? And then she also has the annuities, but that's part of the 500,000. So she's got an estate of about one and a quarter million dollars. No estate tax is due. All right. So first thing that happens is we look at the estate. Is there an estate tax due? No. I don't know what state you live in, but I don't think any state has anything lower. There's some that's a million, that's a million dollar benchmark, but certainly no federal and probably no state. Okay. The house will get a step up in cost basis, meaning it will be assumed that you have inherited this house with, that is worth 750,000, that that's your cost basis. It steps up to 750. So if you were to sell it, and, and this could change if, you know, some of the tax rules go through around step up in cost basis, but they're for much wealthier people. So the step up in cost basis, if it remains the way it's currently written under law that you would have the house, you sell it for $750,000, you get $750,000, no tax due. The taxable part of her um, estate are these annuities because the money that comes out of these annuities will be taxable income to you. And so what you may want to think about is that even if it's deferred for five years or, and, or 10 years, I wonder if you can start annuitizing them sooner than that, meaning that you may want to actually start receiving the money from these annuities and start drip, dribbling the money out because all that money coming out at once would create a tax liability. So that's kind of the, the basics, okay? So probably no estate tax, probably no tax on the house sale unless tax law changes, Yes, tax on the annuities. Next, when you think about for your kid, you've got a, a, she's a junior in college. So I'm wondering if maybe, you know, even using those annuities, could we use that to pay for college? Maybe that's something to think about. I think that it sounds to me that there's a lot of money coming in. I think that we need to know more about what's going on with your daughter in terms of are you paying for college out of cash flow? Um, is there plans for graduate school? I think that you could benefit from talking to a financial advisor. So where can you get that kind of advice? You can go to a full-on 
financial advisor. You can, you know, find uh, one at the Certified Financial Planner website, which is letsmakeaplan.org. You can go to um, the NAPFA website, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, and you could even, um, you could try the AICPA website. This is usually accountants who get a designation to give financial advice. It's the um, AICPA, it's called the PFS. So you can check that out. I would do that. I think you could benefit from that. And I'm so sorry about the loss of your mom, but I think that you will be able to honor her and absolutely be able to do what she has voiced as her goal. And you will stay true to that. And thank you for writing because that was a, a really good one. Oh, apropos of that, here is a message from Elaine who wants to know the difference between an estate planner and a financial planner. In my mind, an estate planner is somebody who is actually a a lawyer, an estate planning attorney. The financial planner will help you with your generalized estate planning, but only an estate attorney can draft your documents. Thanks again for listening. Our email address is askjill at jillonmoney.com. If you go to the Jill on Money website, you can hit the contact button and we'll get your question. Don't forget to tell us if you'd like to come on the air live with us. Mark will do all that work. Please sign up for our free weekly newsletter. That's also on the website. So do that. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We are distributed by Cadence 13. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back today. And don't forget, grit, growth, grace. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.